Shalom. We have the Garden of Amunah class. This week is ded- dedicated not to this week's Parsha, but rather to the upcoming holiday. And I call it a holiday because the prophet Jeremiah calls it a holiday. Tisha B'Av is called a holiday, Moed. And it actually will become a holiday with the uh, Third Temple. But uh, this Shabbos is a very interesting Shabbat. Tisha B'Av, the day that the Holy Temples, both of them were destroyed, falls out on Shabbat. You cannot fast on Shabbat. The only fast today that we have on Shabbat is Yom Kippur. If Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbat, we do fast, even though it's Shabbat and not a, lot, not a lot of fast. And that is because Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Shabbaton, the Shabbat of all Shabbatot, and it overrides Shabbat. But everything else doesn't override Shabbat. Anytime that a fast day falls out on Shabbat, you always push it off to after Shabbat. The only exclusion is the fast before Purim is instead of being pushed off before Shabbat, it's backed up to Thursday. So this Shabbat is very unique that it is Tisha B'Av, and yet nevertheless, we're not going to fast. We're going to fast on Sunday. Um, and and then we can get into the details, but that's not what I want to talk about tonight. I want to just share that the title you saw go out in the invite was Garden of Amuna, Faith of Loneliness. And why did I pick the title Faith of Loneliness? And the reason is because what is the most famous reading of Tisha B'Av? The Book of Lamentations by Jeremiah, Echa. How does Echa start? Echa Yashva Badad. What does the word Badad, badad mean? In solitude. So the first verse starts, Alice, how she sits in solitude. So that's why we're going to focus on a very beautiful, deep mystical teaching that the Rebbe of Blessed Memory delivered in 1971. It was exactly like this year. Shabbat was Tisha B'Av, and it was pushed off. So Shabbat, which is actually on the calendar day, the ninth of Av, the ninth of the Jewish calendar month of, the Rebbe had a fabrengen on Shabbat. You're allowed to learn. The Rebbe delivered a mimer, and the mimer was the Hasidic discourse was on this topic. And the Rebbe discusses a very beautiful, very beautiful concept, and that's where today's lecture is coming from. So we have Echa Yashva Badad. Solitude, loneliness. Loneliness is a huge, huge problem. You know, I write and I'm working through the 12-step program. And over there, they have a famous saying. The four triggers that every person needs to be careful with, especially an addict, because that can trigger off a, a total relapse and acting out, is halt. What is halt? Hungry, angry, loneliness, and tired. When a person is lonely, a person is weak, a person's immune system spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically is down. And when your immune system is down, then you're open to uh, not good things. So we have over here the definition that Jeremiah gives on the exile, Tisha B'Av, is bididut, loneliness. Loneliness is very, very painful. The silence of loneliness sometimes becomes deafening, and it's really a problem. Then the Rebbe talks about a different verse, a verse where loneliness is used in a very beautiful concept, Badad en Yaakov. I quoted it in the, in the invite. We talk about the solitude of Jacob. Jacob sits alone, the eye of Jacob. So there's two types of lonelinesses. 
There's one loneliness which is the depths of exile. And there's one loneliness which seems to be the ultimate experience of bliss. So the question we're going to ask here is, how do they work? And when you study Kabbalistic teachings, Hasidus, you'll know something very interesting. The highest of the high and the lowest of the low is really one thing. It's two sides of one coin. I've shared with you very often the Chinese ancient proverb that says that the completeness of every single light is a shadow. So when you talk about the badad, the solitude, which is the highest, and you talk about the solitude, which is the lowest, they are two halves of one coin. And that seems to be very difficult to understand. Because here we're talking about the greatest bliss of all, the verse which talks about badad and Yaakov. Yaakov, you have the three holy temples. The Medrash says the first temple was Avraham. Avraham built, pitched a tent. The second temple, what the second temple is Isaac, and only the third temple is Jacob. And what does he say about Jacob? Bet Yaakov. Abraham and Isaac is temporary. Jacob is permanent. A bayit, a house. So when we talk about Ein Badad, Badad Ein Yaakov, the solitude of Jacob, we're talking about the experience of the third holy temple. So we're talking about here the highest of the high. Jeremiah is talking about the lowest of the low. How do they fit? How can they both be one and the same? How can they be two halves of one coin? How can it be a light and its shadow? The shadow that belongs to this light, the light that belongs to this shadow. And that's what we're going to talk about today. To understand the pains and depths of loneliness is, uh, I mean, we can give a 14-hour class on that. But... Let me suffice by saying what I learned in my first year of Shlichut. It was a horrific story. And I ended up doing a funeral for a mother and a daughter who were literally butchered to death by the daughter's husband. Oh, it was a case of domestic abuse, spousal abuse. And during the Shiva, the conversation that wouldn't let up is that anyone that knew this girl, she was a very strong girl. How was she able to be put into such an abusey mal uh, uh, mentality? And then because this intrigued me, I started following up on it. And the answer is very simple. The first thing an abuser does before any abuse begins is they create loneliness for the abused. They simply cut off the support system. That's just abuse 101. You don't lift a hand or anything as long as the victim has a support system because that's going to be problems. So usually if you read and you follow up on this, it's the regular protocol. You cut off the person from the family, you move them away from the family, and you forbid phone calls, you make sure that there's no friends, and then once all that is set up, then abuse is just natural. This girl lived in Florida, he moved her to Philadelphia, cut off the support system, and then the rest is unfortunately a horrible history. 
So if we talk about abuse, the first thing that happens in abuse, and for abuse to be able to take place, is to create loneliness. Loneliness is the twin sister of powerlessness and helplessness. That's what you need to create. The definition of exile in its most ugliest form is all of the above. A person in exile is a person locked in loneliness. A person who doesn't feel that they have a support system. That's why in any form of recovery, they realize that the most important thing is a fellowship. Because what the addict has been feeling all his or her life is loneliness. They will all tell you how they feel uniquely different, unaccepted, disconnected, and no one gets them. On top of that, no one understands what they're going through. That's why the secret of success in what Bill W. created was that the recovery system does not work with professionals helping the diseased. They're talking about fellow addicts. Because the one thing a fellow addict can do in recovery is take away your loneliness. The most difficult thing any professional will have in ever trying to help someone else is that the person across the table will always have in their heart one answer. You don't understand me. You read it in the books. You know it. You've done with this. You've heard the story. You helped a million people, but you don't get me. You don't know what it means to be laying in a public restroom, cold on the floor, with your head in the toilet bowl, in total oblivion. When you get to understand that, then you can help me. What the fellow recovering addict has is that the person can never say, you don't get me. So the loneliness of exile is exile. When the Jewish people were scattered, they were taken away from their holy temple, away from their holy Jerusalem, away from their Israel, away from their open relationship with God. They became extremely lonely. All of a sudden we became an Am Badad. We're just alone. People don't get us. You will see this over and over again. This is the ultimate suffering of any Jew who is desperately trying to assimilate. Because ultimately at some point it's going to come up, you're lonely. God forbid you can intermarry, you can be integrated into the business world, you can be a top standing member in all the exclusive, secular, no Jews allowed clubs. And one day, one day when you stop running and turn down the static in your head so that you can hear yourself, you will realize you're lonely. You're lonely because you're disconnected from the people who do get you. There is something about a Jew, a spirituality, a spirituality drive, a different sense of understanding. I'm going to use words that most therapists, their ears perk up. Can you repeat that again? Because whenever you mention the word suicide, 
in a therapy room. They're right. They're legally bound to go crazy. Right. That's the way it works. But the one thing about a Jew that makes him or her suicidal, and I don't mean suicidal now by physically ending your life. I'm talking about racing and chasing the ultimate Ken and Barney lifestyle. Putting all the years of college, all the years of becoming, and then all of a sudden to have this, nah, it's not what I thought it would be. It's not what I'm looking for. We find this throughout Jewish history over and over and over again. That spiritual hangover, when you're just like, ah, oh, it just doesn't feel good. And I thought, that loneliness is the loneliness of exile. It's the loneliness of really knowing that you're different and you're isolated. And the more we try to squash that, and this has gone through history over and over, it's repeated itself. You have the story of the Hellenists. You have it what happened in, in Germany. I'm talking about pre-Holocaust. Yeah, it's over and over the same story. People who think they finally learned how to really make oil and all other liquids bond. They figured out what nature says cannot happen. And they're standing there mixing it as quickly as possible so that the water and the oil doesn't settle so he or she does not have to watch again as the water goes down, the oil comes up, and ultimately they do not mix. That is the horrible pain of exile for a Jew who is not only externally exiled but internally exiled. The person, the he or she, who cannot come to terms with their Jewish identity. The ones who are constantly looking to break the barrier. So that is the ultimate pain of exile. To realize that there are six billion people, and amongst them stands a few million that just stand lonely. It's the loneliness of not beginning to understand how the UN can even face itself time after time after time after time and call itself as the pillar of morality. And this pillar of morality has zero problems with condemning and condemning and condemning. It's the issue on why the ultimate solution saw that there is a plague amongst the human race. There is just a cancerous cell that's configured differently. This goes over and over and over. This loneliness that Jeremiah is talking about is very deep. And until we don't realize that the loneliness will not be overcome through assimilation, it will be overcome by self-respect, self-identity, and bonding, bonding amongst the lonely. This loneliness will never end. And Jeremiah begins his entire book on the destruction, discussing the loneliness of our people. Now let's talk about the greatness of this loneliness. There's a book by Jim Collins called From Good to Great. In the opening of that book, 
He says one of the most beautiful lines I've ever heard. The greatest enemy of great is good. Because when good is good, there's no reason to become great. It's only when good is not good, when things are bad, and we can't come to terms where we have to kick up dirt. Heroes are not created in times of peace. The problem of the Jewish people pre-exile is that things were good. And when things are good, we don't become great. And the purpose of creation is to experience greatness, not goodness. For goodness alone, we did not have to mess up the entire spiritual orbits, go through symptoms, contractions, concealments. Things were good before all of that. God started something because he wanted more than good. He wanted great. And in the times of the Holy Temple, when the Jews weren't lonely, good was good enough. Now let's talk about the inner loneliness. We spoke about the outer loneliness between the Jew and the rest of the 70 nations. Now let's talk about the inner loneliness. Inner loneliness is when your mind, your heart, don't communicate with you. You're very lonely. It's interesting. They thought that, that Facebook and social media would end the problem for shy people. They thought that now they'll be able to start connecting and then slowly they get to know each other, then they'll meet in person, and slowly but surely. And of course, they later learned that they were so wrong. Not being able to communicate in real time is very bad. The person who lives only in his or her mind, but does not know how to connect the mind with the heart. The person who comes up with this great idea puts together this great email, is going to send it to his or her friend, going to start something, but can never click send. The loneliness of the person whose mind doesn't communicate with the heart, the heart doesn't communicate with the mind, and the mind and the heart does not communicate with the garments called thought, speech, and action. That is a person who lives in deep, lonely frustration. A person who dreams of grandeur, dreams of a beautiful life, a beautiful communication, a blossoming flower, but never makes it to round one. That's what the mime is talking about, but not in this language at all. The gift of exile is the gift of loneliness where the mind and heart will not stand by you. Now, if I'm going to call the mind and heart good, because a good life is when the mind and heart talk to you. The most frustrated, frustrated counseling I ever have to do is when the person across the table is adamantly convincing me that there is no solution. There just is no solution. Rabbi, I thought about this. I thought about it. There is no solution. Or emotionally, just total disconnect. Rabbi, I, I'm just, what should I tell you? I'm disconnected emotionally. I fell out. That is the hardest thing. That is the loneliness of inside, the loneliness of helplessness, because my two pillars of strength 
my two pillars of arrogance and ego that never allows me to hit rock bottom is my mind and my heart. The power of their endurance, their power of their overcoming, their power of adaptation has never allowed me to really feel lonely and really feel helpless. And that's why rock bottom means that your mind and heart cracks on you. It just cannot cover up all the yuck no more. And that's when pain flows. So if we talk about loneliness of exile in the inside exile, the internal exile, it's when your mind and heart cease to be there for you. The friends you thought you always have, the reliable friends who've always been there for you, always found a way out for you, always found a way to make things okay, have collapsed. That is loneliness. That is loneliness on the inside. And in the walls of recovery, that's the moment we're waiting for because before that happens, you're in absolute hopelessness. You're locked in to your mind and heart, which you think are your friends, that are actually the biggest enemies you have right now because they created an entire denial world for you They've created an entire numbing system for you. They've created a total altered reality. There's nothing you can do. So what we discuss as absolute pain is what in the world of recovery they call absolute birth. Aha. Now we can talk. Let's talk about the mimer. When what you're yearning for is greatness, then you need to be able to experience loneliness. I've said this to you from this microphone so many times. There is no way to smooth talk oil out of an olive. You don't crush the olive, you don't get the oil. In the world of Kabbalah, oil is essence. Essence is greatness. Everything else is revelation. Revelation can turn against you. Essence can't. Essence is undestructible, undefinable. There's nowhere where it can't be. Where everyone else has to lift their hands and say, I'm sorry, can't help you no more. Essence is there. But to experience essence, you got to crush. Crush, the way we're talking tonight, is to experience the ultimate, ultimate depth of loneliness. I want to share with you a teaching of this second Lubavitcher Rebbe. Very, very, very interesting teaching. The Milter Rebbe says that sometimes when you go to doctors and they cannot find anything wrong, his reproductive organs are working well, her reproductive organs are working well, and they can't have a child. They just can't conceive. The Milter Rebbe writes that sometimes the only thing that's missing is absolute hopelessness and giving up. And when the giving up happens, then we can introduce the third partner because our th sages clearly state 
that there are three partners in the creation of the human being, Father, Mother, and God Almighty. So sometimes the problem in being able to conceive, carry a child, give birth to a child, isn't that the father and mother are lacking, it's that there was no room to allow the third partner in. Without the third partner, we're not creating babies. And sometimes the only thing that's missing to be able to open up for the third partner is absolute hopelessness, absolute loneliness. Because then when you're faced with that, you have no choice but to go deeper. Think about how many Jews are stuck in their emotions and on perceptions when it comes to Judaism. How many Jews can only do what they feel? How many times have I been told, Rabbi, I just don't feel it. You want me to put on tefillin? I just don't feel it. Or how many times have I been told, Rabbi, if you can explain this to me, I'm a human being, don't treat me like no idiot. If you can explain this to me, if this can make sense to me, I'm going to do it. How many of us are locked within the prisons of our mind and our heart? And mind and heart are good gifts from God. Without it, we would be just another part of the animal kingdom. But yet, these good gifts become the ultimate enemy to greatness. To quote Jim Collins, the enemy of greatness is goodness. So what we're experiencing over here is that sometimes what we really do need to be able to handle and receive greatness is loneliness. We need to lose our support system that allowed us to live in denial. We need to lose that support system of arrogance which allowed us to maintain a very tough identity and grow with it. Because ultimately speaking, we're taught I and he cannot coexist. The I being God, the he being our ego. So loneliness actually is not a terrible thing. if we're willing to leave go. And thus the famous saying over and over in the hallways of recovery, let go, let God. Anyone who has touched recovery will say that prayer at least 20, 30 times a day. Let go, let God. Live God on God's way. Accept life on life's terms. None of us do that. We have plans. These plans are what we need to do. We have understanding, we have feelings. On top of that, they're not really ours, they're God-given to us, so don't belittle them. And sometimes they turn into our greatest enemy. I want to tell you an interesting story. I believe it happened with the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe. There was a person who had a, uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was a Tov, I'm not sure. He had a, uh, a horse and wagon, that's how he made a living. Took his horse and wagon and his horse would do this and that. And every single year he would come to the Rebbe for the high holidays. And as is the custom of Chassidim, before you leave, you have a private audience with the Rebbe. And you ask the Rebbe for a bracha, a blessing, that his uh, horse would be able to support him through the year. And every year he would get the blessing. And it was all beautiful. 
One year, his horse died. He came to the Rebbe, regular high holidays, everything beautiful, heard all the discourses, and really had a spiritual great oasis. And then what happens is, he comes before he leaves, and he asks the Rebbe, Rebbe, I'm just asking you for a blessing. May God give me Parnasa. And that year, he became very, very wealthy. And someone asked the Rebbe, asked the Rebbe, what happened this year with him? He said, don't you understand? Every year, he asked me to bless his horse. I blessed his horse. This year, he didn't give me limitations. He didn't tell me that I have to walk through a, work through a horse. He gave me the leeway of giving him blessings. I did what I had to do. How many of us stand and pray to God, please, God, may this horse have a long and prosperous life. May this horse's teeth stand by it. May this horse's legs never break. And then we're stuck. We're stuck with what a horse can do for us. Make ends meet. And then there's always, ah, why can't I be rich? It's the same thing with our own experience. So we're standing there so strong. God bless my mind and bless my heart to be able to grow and stand by me and always have the right answers and always know how to get out of trouble and always know how to outsmart the other person. God, please, you've given me this great gift of a great mind and a great heart and may it stand by me. Just keep it strong. The mind and heart is good, but the mind and heart is never great. And then, if we're ever willing to experience loneliness, then all of a sudden we drop and we stop asking God, my mind, my heart. We're finally willing to work with God and God's terms. We're finally we're willing to accept self on a sensual level. So it's only when we lose the holy temple, it's only when we lose this feeling of comfort, this close relationship with God, one that's propelled by emotions and by perception, and now we're left with nothing other than what? Acceptance. That is the gift of loneliness. The ultimate gift of loneliness is that all I have left is acceptance. And once you have acceptance, you're not stuck in good, you can appreciate great. That is the gift of exile. That is the gift of Echa Yashva Badad. And that's what this mimer, at least the way I perceived it, presents to us. When you're willing to have the Badad of Yaakov, and the only way to do that is, is by embracing the Badad of Jeremiah. If we're willing to stop telling God, if only, what do you want from me? I'm in exile. I don't have a holy temple. I never saw the miracle. If only I can understand, if only I can feel, if only I can get myself to believe. We're not willing to embrace the hopelessness of 
solitude, loneliness. Let's talk about relationships. Relationships is very, very funny. And since we have more women in than men in this room, so we'll talk about this. Now, a lot of women get married so that they can be absolutely codependent on another human being. And the only thing that will ever make me feel beautiful is when his eyes light up. The only thing that will ever make me worth anything is when he compliments me and recognizes it. And that's a very interesting concept because when he turns against that, for whatever reason, he may be going through his own midlife crisis. And then what happens? All of a sudden we're left not feeling beautiful, not feeling any value, feeling absolute loneliness. That's a very iffy place to be. And why does it happen? It's because way back in the day when he was courting you, in those rare moments when he first met you and opened the door to car for you, you felt like a million bucks. It had nothing what to do with reality. You felt beautiful. And then when he doesn't give you that, it doesn't make a difference in reality that you could be the most gorgeous woman that ever walked the face of the earth. You don't feel beautiful. That is a very interesting moment in a relationship. And by the way, I'm not saying women more than men. I just preface what I'm saying that I'm sitting in a room full of women. Men go through the same thing. Just depends how they do it, very different, that's all. Predator, and it's just a different format, but the same thing. One of the best kept secrets in, the, in I think the human race is that men have, men have their monthlies and they usually last for a month. That's a different story. But the bottom line is that in this situation, you have a very rare moment here. A lot of times I sit across such women by a table. And now I need to figure out in my mind what to do because it's a very scary situation. Let me tell you why. A person who's lived a decade or two needing someone else to give them any value at all is more likely to go find someone else to give them that value than to find their own inner strength. So I have a very tricky road here. On one hand, I know what I have to do to help this woman or man, but I'm talking about woman now. I have to unhook him from her. But I don't want to unhook a marriage. I want to unhook codependency. Very scary. And I know that any man who's a player will immediately see that this woman is playable. She's got a big problem here. For the last decade, she never saw who's in the mirror. She had to ask her husband who she really is. And all of a sudden, that's taken away. Now the easiest thing is to find another person who will shower that upon her. That's a dangerous moment. If we could do this right, if the therapy plan that I always work on works right, then what I really get to do is unhook her from him, hook her to her higher power, i.e. God Almighty, i.e. the piece of soul you have within your being, you realize now that you'll never have to feel emotionally depleted again because your true source of emotions is the infinite. And then realize that's not why you got married.
You did not get married to have emotional value. Woe to the husband who stuck with a wife who married him because planning that he, for his entire life, should be supplying her with emotional value. So we have a very interesting system here. And why do I bring it up today? Because until she doesn't experience the Eicha Yashva Badad, Alice, she slits alone in solitude. She's lonely. She's hurting. She feels worthless. Before that moment comes along, good is the biggest enemy to great. And when this man chased me, he made me feel really good. Why ever have to do the homework of feeling great? Why ever unhooking from this person who makes me feel like I'm walking on water and have to connect with my own higher power and do the hard work down in the basement? And until that relationship, which actually was suffocating and smothering, doesn't cease to supply, we never stop to go from good to great. It's only when Jeremiah's Eicha Yeshva Badad hits you in the face like a ton of bricks do we then realize, whoa, where do I go from here? The ones who do have a prayer to hold on to will go from Jeremiah's solitude to Jacob's solitude. The ones that don't will live a very angry life blaming the universe and every single person walking on two feet for their misery. So let's understand and wrap it up. What I'm sharing with you tonight is loneliness is a gift. The pain of loneliness is a gift. And if you can actually embrace that loneliness instead of drugging it up with whatever your choice of poison is, from shopping to lust, whatever the, all the wonderful deadly sins that are out there in the world of recovery, unless you're willing to really embrace the loneliness of Jeremiah, you're stuck. But if you're willing to embrace Jeremiah's loneliness and be able to understand that long before the question was the answer, your higher power existed before you gave it away for an external supplier. And now if you can take it back and you can replace it in the higher power, then one day you will thank the source of your misery because it took you from good to great. It took you from being emotionally depleted and dependent and in prison to realizing I need no one in my life to make me feel good. And that's when marriage begins to really work because marriage isn't about needing, it's about wanting. You can't appreciate wanting when you're stuck in needing. So what really takes place in the beauty of Jeremiah's solitude is that your supplier ran out, which means that you are in the absolute throes of emptiness, absolute zero, nada, shmata, whatever language you want to call it. And then hopefully you have a prayer to hang on to so that you can really connect with the infinite source of your emotional bank. And then you feel really the way God made you in order to feel. 
then you can go back to a healthy relationship or for the first time in your life have a healthy relationship. So people, Tisha B'Av is a beautiful day. It's called a Moed. The day of Tisha B'Av is not just the day that the temple is destroyed, it's a temple, it's the day that Mashiach was born. Let's celebrate his birthday. That's all for tonight, guys.